Hello, and welcome to Mountain Talk. I'm your host, Rachel Geringer. On this evening's edition of Mountain Talk, we'll hear former Drug Enforcement Administration employee Bob Stutman discuss the opioid epidemic in rural America. Bob Stutman made a 25-year career as one of America's highest-profile drug busters. While he was head of the DEA's New York office, which is the administration's largest, he became so visible a Colombian cartel at one time targeted him for assassination. Stutman spoke to teachers at Letcher County Central High School on October 16, 2017, during an event organized by several community businesses and health organizations. The following is audio from that event, recorded by WMMT's Benny Becker. During my 25 years with the Drug Enforcement Administration, I was shot at four times. I did have a contract on my life for 19 months by Pablo Escobar. Don't look around, Pablo's dead and I'm alive. Thank God. Um, if you put a bull, if you put a target over the United States, and that target was the drug problem, this county would be the bullseye. You guys would be the bullseye, you know, within 50 miles of the target. America has changed when it comes to drugs. And my job today is really to point out to you how this is not just another drug problem. Honest to God, I was head of the New York office when crack became the problem, and that was sissy stuff compared to what we're dealing with today. My frustration as a DEA agent, and Doc knows this, you're a doctor, it's not what you do, it's what you are. It becomes part of your persona. Being a DEA agent is what I am. Let me tell you my frustration. In the middle of the absolute worst drug epidemic we have ever had in the United States, I don't care how you measure, this is the worst. I don't know who to lock up anymore. I don't know who the bad guys are anymore. I really don't. When I was working the street as a DEA agent, getting shot at, etc., the world was divided into two dope peddlers, and cops and agents. And we each knew our job. In the middle of the worst drug epidemic ever in the United States, the majority of people who die from drugs don't get them from a dope peddler. They started, at least, by getting them from medicine chests. And those drugs were put there by otherwise well-meaning physicians who did not understand the paradigm shift that started in this country. I like talking to docs, I like talking to teachers, I love talking to high school kids. This year while I'm talking, my partner and I are gonna to speak to about 40,000 high school kids. I talk to them in a room full like this with none of you in there, teachers, because they trust us. They know we're honest and I don't preach to them. And when you talk to high school kids who 15 years ago, you say, what drug are you using? And they'd say, meth or grass. You talk to them now, what, what are you guys using up here in Appalachia? Droves. Everybody's using droves. Hydrocodone. Drug of choice. Hydrocodone. How did you start? And we talked to kids who admit they're addicts. 
How did you start using this stuff? I will tell you the two couplets answers we get almost all the time from your kids. Anybody want to guess what they are? Sports injury and wisdom teeth. Nobody ever told them this stuff was addicting. Nobody ever told them the consequences. Nobody ever told them that three days worth of hydrocodone, you can become physically dependent on it. Not addicted, physically dependent. So when they stop using them, they get the sniffles, they don't feel great, but they know they feel good when they start using them again. And that's what we are dealing with in the United States. We are not just seeing a new drug epidemic. We are seeing a culture change. Now, a lot of people here could give you lots of numbers that are far smarter than I am at this. Let me give you a couple of numbers that I think point out the culture change. Number one, this study won a Nobel Prize 10 months ago. For the first time in history, the life expectancy of white, middle-aged Americans is lower than their parents or their grandparents. Do you hear what I said? For the first time in history, these guys, not Stephanie, the rest of them over here, white middle-aged Americans, they have a lower life expectancy than their parents or their grandparents. First time ever. Not true for African Americans. Not true for Latin Americans. Not true for whites in any other country in the world, just America. Primary reason why? Drug overdose. Two weeks the following study came out. When I read it, I called the doc who did the study. I said, can't be right. It's right. Please listen to this number. It is beyond my comprehension. The major cause of death of Americans age 50 and below is now drug overdose. What? The major cause of death of everybody in our country age 50 and below is drug overdose? I don't mean this smart ass way. My sister died of cancer. What happened to cancer? What happened to automobile accidents? What happened to gunshot violence? It's now drug overdose, the leading cause of death in America, age 50 and below. Last year, approximately 65,000 Americans died from drug overdose. 164 people a day in America die from drug overdose. The average commercial airline crash in the past 10 years, the average number of people to die is 129. Can you imagine if we had a commercial airline crash in this country 365 days a year, every day of the year, a commercial airline crash every day of the year? You know what we would do as a country? We'd shut down the damn airline industry. You all know that. The president would stand up and say, we're shutting down this industry till they get it right. And everybody in this room knows that. Well, guess what? 
25% more a year, die every day from drugs, and I don't see any industries being shut down. You all remember this, 9-11. Take 9-11, multiply it by 20, and that's the number of people that die every year from drug overdose in the United States. 9-11 times 20, and that's the number of people that die from drug overdose in our country. And we could see people sitting around saying, oh, what are we going to do? No. It's too late. We have to start acting like the country. We all know we are. And start saying, we are not going to put up with this any longer. You don't know her. I did not know her either. But I want to tell you something about her. Her name is Gretchen Fordham. She was stopped on January 12th, I think it is, of 2016 by the Massachusetts State Police for driving erratically. She hit a tree when they stopped her. She broke her hand. She got out of the car. There was a bunch of heroin on her dress. The police charged her with driving under the influence of heroin, as they should. They then did exactly what they should do. They took her to the local emergency room because she had a broken hand. In the emergency room, Gretchen Fordham overdoses. They have to Narcan her three times in the emergency room to bring her back. The point is, they damn sure know she's a drug addict. They then go cast her hand. On the way out, they give her a prescription for 60 OxyContin. She goes home and dies of an OxyContin overdose. We cured the pain, we killed the patient. And that's what we are doing in the United States. I'll argue with you, we're not even curing the pain. But we're damn sure killing the patients. And Gretchen Fordham, to me, stands for that. How many of y'all are moms and dads, or have nieces and nephews? Raise your hands. Every one of you have done the following. Don't drink and drive. Have you all said that to your kids? Don't drink and drive, right? Well, guess what? Last year, for the first time in history, more people died behind the wheel under the influence of drugs than under the influence of alcohol. We now have to say to our kids, don't do drugs and drive. Excuse me, if that's not a culture changer, I don't know what the hell is. And please understand, it's getting worse. It's not getting better. How did it happen this way? Why are we where we are? I will share with you one number. And I could give you 10,000 numbers, but this one number to me sums up where we are. 40% of Americans use opioids to control pain. Did you hear that number? 40% of Americans use opioid to control pain. Now, I got a doctor here, and I've challenged him to tell me in front of the group if I'm wrong. There is not one single peer-reviewed medical study that says long-term use of opioids has any effect on long-term pain other than cancer pain. We can't prove this crap works. Is that a fair statement? 
We cannot prove it works. And yet 40% of Americans use it to control pain. You know what the number is in Europe? 6%. Hello? That tells you why we are where we are. We are flooding our streets with this stuff. Americans are too cheap to throw their pills away. They sit in the medicine chest. And to our kids, those pills become candy. And they become the gateway to a world that they never wanted to enter. Now, why is the opioid problem different than every other drug? Look, I lived through cocaine. I've lived through crack. I've lived through heroin. I've lived through fentanyl. I've lived through them all. I didn't read about them. I literally lived it. Opioids are different. They're different for two or three reasons. Number one, kids do not use opioids to get high. When you were 15, if I said to most of you, what was it like to get high? You know what you would say to me? Melting colors, shooting stars, tie-dye t-shirts, Jerry Garcia, and the Grateful Dead. That was getting high to most of you. It was hallucinations and all that crap, right? Using opioids is a sense of warmth, safety, and well-being. It has nothing to do with getting high. It's a place of safety for these kids. It's a very different reason. Here's the second problem with opioids. I did a high school. How far are we from Cleveland, Tennessee? Three hours. So we're not that far. I did Cleveland, Tennessee five years ago. Everybody, all the kids in Cleveland that were using drugs were doing meth, as you probably know, right? I did them two years ago. And I said, what are you guys using? Droves, hydrocodone. Why did you switch from methamphetamine to hydrocodone? That's my question. Here's the answer I get all the time. You ready? This stuff is safe. It came from a doctor. I have an argument with a kid. He says, dude, I didn't get this crap from a dope peddler. I took it from my mom's medicine chest. She's had the same doc for 15 years. Safe enough for my mom, safe enough for me. Now, everybody in this room knows how stupid that is. Here's the problem. They absolutely believe we're giving them safe drugs when they're using Oxycontin and Vicodin and Xanax, et cetera. By the way, I'll tell you something that I learned two days ago. I have a really good friend who is an addiction physician, in my opinion, the best in the country. He told me something I never, the toughest addiction to cure, Xanax. He said a heroin addict is a walk in the park compared to a Xanax addict. They're called benzodiazepines. Here's, here's the big problem with opioids. Much worse problem than anything else I can share with you. I'm better than anybody in this room at picking out a drug addict. I lived undercover with him. If I didn't know who the hell was in the room with me, I'd get killed. Heroin addict walks through that door. I'll tell you in 10 seconds, he's a heroin addict. Cocaine addict walks through that door. I will tell you in 30 seconds, he's a cocaine addict. I cannot pick out an opioid addict. I cannot pick out an Oxycontin addict. I cannot pick out a hydrocodone addict. 
I get docs who say to me all the time, I can pick out my problem patients. I can pick out the patient who's going to be an opioid problem or is has an opioid problem. So when a doctor says to me, I can pick out my opioid problems, I say, doctor, with all deference, I have two words for you. Rush Limbaugh. Why would the hell would I say Rush Limbaugh? I don't care if you love him or hate him. That's not the point. Here's the point. He has the largest radio audience in the world. Here's what he has publicly admitted to on a CNN interview that I've watched 12 times. He was an Oxycontin addict for three and a half years. He used between two and five 80 milligram tablets a day, an amount that would kill many of us. Now again, I don't care if you love him or hate him. That's not the point. Here's the point. He was on the radio every single day for three and a half years, a stone Oxycontin addict, and nobody in America knew it. Nobody knew it, including me. So do not tell me that you can pick these kids out, these problems out. You can't. Every other drug, any one of these addiction docs will be able to tell you what date they're going to go over the cliff. They can't pick this out. It's so different. You don't tell it till a kid drops dead on you. That's when you figure out, oh, he must have been a drug addict. That's the difference with opioids. Who are the drug addicts in the United States? This is a real important issue because lots of doctors tend to prescribe who the drug addicts are based on their preconceived notion of who the drug addict would be. Somebody walks in the office, you know what, she's real clean cut looking, she's clean, I don't have to worry about her. Who are the drug addicts in the United States? Here's where I get a lot of you upset at me. The best TV series ever done on drugs was not Breaking Bad. It was a terrible TV show, technically. I understand it was good acting, but technically it was terrible. I do this for a living. It was terrible. The best TV series ever done on drugs, technically, was on HBO for five years. It was called The Wire. Now, here was the only problem with The Wire, if you saw it. Every drug addict on The Wire for five years was black. So let me ask you all a question. Can you pick out a drug addict by the color of their skin in America? You're all saying no, right? You're all wonderfully politically correct. God bless you. You're all dead wrong. Of course you can. Majority are white. It is a white-dominated problem, period, the end. High school seniors who are white have a 30% higher rate of substance abuse than black high school seniors. If you take the three major ethnic groups in the United States, our population, White, African-American, and Latino. By far, Latinos have the lowest rate of both addiction and alcoholism. 50% less than whites. That's not what Americans think. Is it just a big city problem? Well, you all know the answer to that. There have been a bunch of studies that have been thrown in your face that say the majority of people per capita who die from drug overdoses now live in rural America. 
It is a rural American problem more so than urban or suburban America. Should I send my kid to a private school if I want to get them away from substance abuse problem? Private schools have an 18% higher rate of substance abuse than public schools. There is an exception. The exception is truly faith-based private schools. Makes no difference what religion. Truly faith-based private schools are slightly lower than public schools when it comes to substance abuse. The next one I know will get every dad in the room PO to me. If I did not say this up front, here's what would happen to me. I would walk out of this room and people would come up to me and say, wow, I really learned a lot about drugs. I thought I learned, I thought I knew about drugs. You taught me something about drugs. And to tell you the truth, you scared the hell out of me because I got a son in high school. And if I didn't say this, here's how that paragraph finishes. But my son doesn't have a substance abuse problem. He plays ball. Let us be absolutely clear. Kids who play team sports in high school have a higher rate of substance abuse than kids who play no sports at all. Kids who play individual sports in high school, track and field, swimming, marathon running, etc., have a significantly lower rate of substance abuse than kids who play no sports at all. Here's the problem, the point. We can't pick them up by who we think they are. That is the picture of drug abuse in America. And we are doing it to our own kids. It is not the dope peddlers. That 12-foot wall along the border ain't going to change anything as far as drugs go. Ain't going to change anything. It is our kids that we are killing ourselves now. You're listening to Mountain Talk on WMMT 88.7 FM, Real People Radio in Whitesburg, Kentucky. This week's edition features audio from former head of the DEA's New York office, Bob Stutman, who spoke about the opioid epidemic in rural America to teachers at Letcher County Central High School on October 16, 2017. Why do so many doctors prescribe so much opioids if it doesn't work, I, mean, I don't know how else to put it. It doesn't work for non-cancer pain. It works for short-term traumatic pain, less than 30 days. It works for long-term cancer pain. It doesn't work for long-term non-cancer pain. Now, I know there are some people here who swear by it. There are a bunch of studies that show it just doesn't work. I will bet the following. Most of you who take opioids, why did you start getting them? I'll tell you why. Don't answer lower back pain. The number one reason why doctors prescribe Vicodin, lower back pain. Do you know three studies have been done in four medical journals in the past two years that say the worst drug you can give for lower back pain is an opioid, is Vicodin. They simply don't work. The best drug is naproxen, naproxen sodium, 500 milligrams twice a day. And I'm going to bet your docs give you Vicodin. Why has this changed? These are generally not bad doctors. They're not crooks. I understand there are some crooks, doctors, just like there are crooked cops. I understand that. 
The majority of docs who are doing this are really good people who care. They just don't understand what has changed. Let me share with you what's different about America, what's changed. Why is this a uniquely American problem? You understand what we're talking about today? I couldn't give this speech in Europe because it's not accurate. First of all, everybody in this room since 1993, if you're old enough, remembers the TV ads that tell you if you've got a problem, take a pill. Am I correct? You've all seen a thousand ads for Vialis, Ciagra. Am I wrong? You've all seen those ads on television. Probably average American sees 400 a year. Do you realize it is illegal in every other country in the world except New Zealand for Big Pharma to advertise directly to you, the American public? You realize it's illegal. Let me repeat that. It's illegal in every other country in the world except America and New Zealand. Now, what's the problem with advertising? Because every one of those ads has a very simple message. If you've got a problem, take a pill. I go see my doctor, and he doesn't give me a pill. He's a lousy doctor. Why? Because television told me so. We have trained Americans to expect pills from them. And if you have the occasional doc who has the guts to say no, he or she gets crucified. That's number one. Number two, there's a company called Purdue Pharmaceutical that put a drug called OxyContin on the market, 1995. Let me tell you what they told doctors. It was non-addicting. It had a 1% chance of addiction. There were studies that said it had no addiction potential. They made up the studies. They lied to the doctors. Now, I just said this company lied and made up that, right? You would expect I'd get my butt sued for saying that, right? Well, guess what? Purdue Pharmaceutical pled guilty in federal court to fraud for doing exactly what I just said, and they paid a $700 million fine. $700 million fine. And these guys believed them when they said it because a pharma rep wouldn't just flat lie. Guess what they did? That's number two. Number three, this will not mean a lot to a lot of you, but I will tell you this one to me changed the medical world. In 1995, American medical schools started training the following. Pain is the fifth vital sign. Why is that so important? The other four vital signs, every doctor in this room can objectively measure. They need a blood pressure cuff, a stethoscope, and a thermometer, correct? And you can objectively measure the other four. Every doctor you know is a scientist. You know how doctors measure pain? A happy face chart. And the last one I'm going to put up, why this has changed. Most doctors, their pay or their bonus 
is not based on whether or not they saved the patient's life. It is based on whether or not the patient liked them. Is that how you want your doctor measured? That's how he's being measured in America, or she, in America today. Put up the net, last one. There is a fancy quality survey chart called Prescani. Look at that question. Is that how you want America run? I damn sure don't. And that's what we are doing in this country. We are changing the culture, and it is going to get worse. I do not do political presentations, but there's something that I can't help. I'm sorry. If I didn't say this, I would not be what I am. The new dope peddlers are not the guys that I dealt with. The new dope peddlers are big pharma, major drug distributors, and major drugstore chains that sell like crazy, even though it doesn't make any sense at all. I risked my life chasing dope peddlers, and I literally did. I'm not bragging about it. It was stupid because I cared about this country. I thought I was doing right. I did it all the wrong way, but that's beside the point. I care. We now have agents and diversion investigators who are trying to stop what's happening with the flooding of America with Big Pharma. There are people who work for DEA. I'm taking the blame. Lawyers quit DEA and go to work for Big Pharma and make it almost impossible for DEA to, to enforce those laws. That sounds bad, right? I'm going to tell you a worse one. Our Congress passed a law by unanimous consent. That means Democrats and Republicans. Four months ago, that now makes it almost impossible for us to investigate Big Pharma. They wrote the law that makes it almost impossible for us to go after these people that are killing your kids. And I feel for my brethren, the agents, who are risking their lives every day trying to do a job, and all of a sudden they get smacked in the face with this. It's going to get worse. There are a lot of things that have to change. You and I are not going to change Big Pharma. You and I are not going to change lobbying. You and I are not going to change a Congress that passes laws that are just nuts. What can you and I do? If you're a mom and dad in this room, you can lock up your medicines. Take all those pills in your medicine chest that say caution on them. Lock them up. If your kids can't get them, they won't take them. I'm going to bet most of you have controlled substances in your medicine chest that are not locked up. I know your darling little kid wouldn't use them, but what about when your darling little kid has the neighbor's kid over to play and he said, Mrs. Stutman, can I go pee in your bathroom? And he closes the bathroom door and the first thing he does is open up the medicine chest. Lock them up. Number one. Number two. You know the scariest thing I hear from kids, 12, 13, and 14? How do I say no? You got to start teaching these kids when they're little 
how to say no. You don't start teaching them at 12 when the average age of first use is 12 and a half. You start teaching them at six. What do you teach them? You do some homework in this community and you figure out what really works with kids. Well, you know what? There are dozens of programs available that teach your kid how to say no. The worst one, every study that's been done, is the D.A.R.E. program. Now, you tell me if most of your kids today, that's the education they had going back. D.A.R.E. is getting much better now. But for years, it was the worst drug education in the country. And that's all we did. Not you, but the country. We gotta figure out what to do and we gotta be honest with our kids. You gotta to talk to them honestly. I'm gonna tell you this right now. If you got kids and you're concerned about this issue, there is a book I want you to buy. It's not my book, I wish it was. It is a book called How to Raise a Drug-Free Kid. It tells you how to deal with your kid from age five to age 25. Great, great book. My hero in schools is a Jesuit priest who is the principal of what is always picked as one of the top 25 high schools in the United States. It's called Marquette University High School. It's in Milwaukee. I speak to the kids there almost every year. So about four years ago, we opened up for a parent presentation that night. Now, when you do a parent presentation after you speak to the kids, if you're lucky, you get 100 parents. And they're the same parents that you talk to every day. It's not the parents you need to reach. You know that. I look out at the audience, and there's 1,400 people in that audience. And I turn to Father John, John Belmonte. I said, John, how the hell did you get 1,400 people in this audience? And he hands me a letter. If you do not show up and you do not have a pre written excuse, please do not send your child to school the next day. She will be unenrolled. I am not going to have some kid in my school die of drug overdose and have some mother look in my face and say, you didn't do everything you could do. I don't give a damn if these parents don't like it. I'm going to do everything I can to save their kids' lives. Tough if they don't like it. That night, 1,400 people in the audience, and some of them are kids who had been there that day, right? A young man raises his hand, and he stands up, and his parents are sitting beside him in front of 1,400 people. He said, Mom and Dad, I know you love me, but the only thing you ever told me really about drugs was if I do drugs, I'm going to die. And he looks right at him, and he says, I did and I didn't. So I never believed a word you said after that. I'm going to bet that's exactly what a lot of you have told your kids. You do drugs, you're going to die. When they have and they haven't. You got to be honest. You got to be upfront. You got to not preach to them. You got to share good information with them. And the last thing I will say the three most accurate predictors whether or not your kid will become a drug addict. Uh, number one, I already told you, age of first use. The younger a kid is when they first start drinking or doing drugs, the more likely they are to have a long-term drug or alcohol problem. Average age of first use of drugs now in the United States is 12 and a half. So our kids are starting younger. 
Number one predictor. Number two, there is a predictor drug. Kids use this drug, they are 12 to 16 times more likely to become either a drug addict or an alcoholic. The drug is not marijuana. What is the drug? Tobacco, nicotine. Kids who smoke, chew, or dip are 12 to 16 times more likely to become either drug addicts or alcoholics. The third one, to me, is the most important. It is a number. The higher the number, the better for your child. So if you're a mom and dad, you want to get the highest number you can get. The highest the number can be is seven. What does the number stand for? The number of times a week you have dinner with your kids. I get the following. There's almost nobody in this room who politically likes Barack Obama. I will also tell you the following. Some of my best friends in the world who are very red, very conservative Republicans will tell you I hate the man's politics, but he's an incredible family man. You have, you have a meeting with President Obama at night. There is an hour built into the meeting. You know what you do? You go sit your butt in the waiting room. You know what the president does? He goes and has dinner with his wife and two kids every single night. And Mrs. Obama said every night at dinner, they play a game called Roses and Thorns. Everybody in that, at that dinner table first talks about the good things that happens to us today. And then we all talk about the bad things that happen to us today. And she said, if you give kids a chance and don't preach to them and you're honest to them, they'll puke their guts out. They will tell you things you don't want to hear. That's how you make a difference. Get this community together. Last thing I'm going to say, then we're going to leave. There's going to be another kid die in this community from drug overdose or alcohol. You know that. I know that. Here's what I'm going to ask you. The next time you see a kid that died in this community from drugs or alcohol, I want you to all look in the mirror and say, did we do the most we could to make sure this didn't happen? We are not perfect. We will make mistakes. But we owe it to our kids to try the best we can. And you need to be able to look in the mirror and say, I tried my best. Otherwise, if you can't say that, you own that kid's death. You own that kid's death if you can't say, I tried my best. Thank you, guys. We're going to have one more speaker this evening, and it's Kayla Parsons from Addiction Recovery Care. Hey guys, my name is Kayla and I am actually a recovering addict myself and I work, like she said, for addiction recovery care. We have a total of nine residential and four outpatient centers um, on this half of the state. We go all the way from Moorhead to Ashland to Harlan, Somerset area, a little bit of everywhere. We are a faith-based company. Our corporate office is out of Louisa and... Um, our CEO was actually an alcoholic who just about drank himself to death. 
And then one night he had an encounter with God and decided that he wanted to do something different with his life. So now we, um, our centers believe in a holistic approach. So we know that addiction, you know, nobody just wakes up one morning and decides that they want to be an addict and then ruins their life straight from there. Um, so at our programs, we have medical staff, we have RNs, and we have a nurse practitioner that is um, educated in addiction as well. We have clinical staff. So we have counselors, we have peer support specialists, we have um, a spiritual approach as well. So we have pastoral counselors at our centers and chaplains at our centers as well. And through the program, we are a th right now we're a three-phase program. Program. So phase one is a more intensive residential setting. Phase two is more of an in intensive outpatient. And then phase three is our internship program. And that's where we are actually starting to add vocational training in our program as well. So once somebody is an intern in our program, they can enter. Right now it's a peer support academy. And so it's basically a six-month education. It's in partnership with Sullivan University. So through that program, they get um, 30, about 30 college credit hours in the six months, and they also become peer support certified in the state of Kentucky. And basically a peer support specialist is, it's a type of counselor, and except from coming from a clinical standpoint, we come from a, hey, this is what helped me, let me try to help you standpoint. Once a person um, has stayed with our program for a year, they're actually guaranteed a job with us. We realized that um, the top return on investment for dollars in the different types of addiction treatment, um, inpatient and vocational training. So we're trying to combine the two of them. It's actually really great. Um, I've been with addiction recovery care since last August, and I came through the doors as a um, as a client at Karen's place in Louisa, and now I get to work at the corporate office. So we're really trying to take people, help them to build their lives, and then put them back to work helping others. And that's all. Um, I've actually been over to some of the facilities, and it really, it's an incredible thing that they're doing. And it, everyone in this room is somehow being affected by drugs or alcohol or know someone who has, and it's just really near and dear, and I can tell you that this place, the places that she's talking about, addiction recovery care, um, completely changed my father, Dr. Breeding's outlook, um, the way he wants to help and the way he is helping, and I had to go see it for myself, and I did, and it, it's absolutely incredible. So if anybody wants to get plugged in to maybe go on a site visit or hear more about it, you can just contact Mountain Comp. Um, thank you all for coming today and for allowing us to speak to you and for listening. And let's give one more round of applause for both of our speakers. That concludes today's edition of Mountain Talk featuring the former head of the DEA's New York office, Bob Stutman, who spoke to teachers at Letcher County Central High School on October 16, 2017, about the opioid epidemic in rural America. To re-listen to this or other episodes of Mountain Talk, visit our website, www.wmmt.org, 
or download past episodes of Mountain Talk wherever you get your podcasts. From all of us at WMMT, thanks for listening. Thank you.